0: welcome to the buddha sasana podcast this talk was given by bhikkhu Chintita in austin texas Today, I want to start talking about the final and most upstream link, independent co-arising, ignorance. The Dhammapada begins, All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows, as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of an ox. All experience experience is preceded preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, mind. speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness happiness follows like like a never departing -departing shadow. Most of us experience the world at face value as external to ourselves, but on which our well being depends. The world is, in fact, mind-constructed. In our ignorance, we presume it to be one way, but we can presume it to be otherwise, or not presume at all. Mind is malleable, and how we live our lives of practice makes it either corrupted or peaceful. With a corrupted mind, the world is painful. With a peaceful mind, it is agreeable. Ignorance is the deepest root of our conceptual cognition and thereby of the human pathology. It's what gives us license to presume. In presuming, presuming one is bound by Mara. By not presuming, one one is freed from from the evil one. Ignorance is often summarized as not understanding the Four Noble Truths. Bhikkhu. Not knowing suffering, not knowing the origin of suffering, not knowing the cessation of suffering, not knowing the way leading to the cessation of suffering, this is called ignorance, bhikkhu. And it is in this way that one is immersed in ignorance. Naturally, we can extend this to not understanding dependent co-arising for which the Four Noble Truths are a first draft. But we have to be careful, for Dhamma teachings like this are themselves presented conceptually, are communicated in words, are composed of formations, are presumed by cognizance, and therefore conditioned by ignorance, the very ignorance of not knowing these teachings. The simile of the raft addresses this paradox. A raft well-made has been lashed together. Having crossed over, gone to the far shore, I've subdued the flood. No need for a raft to be found. The far shore is liberation, nibbana. Buddhism has what has been called a deflationary soteriology. And the Raph simile is an expression of that. We progress in our path to eliminate this massive suffering and to end samsara by letting go, relinquishing and renouncing, not by taking up, gaining or appropriating. A conceptual understanding plays a necessary but provisional role in supportive practice which then fares on to spiritual development and leads to relinquishment, of that conceptual understanding. Recall that fully internalizing the Four Noble Truths entails understanding our suffering, abandoning our craving, realizing the cessation of suffering, and developing the Noble Eightfold Path. Once these results are achieved, we can abandon the raft of the Four Noble Truths, which are there not for their own philosophical sake, but only in support of the practice that leads to liberation. Through our practice, we limit or bring to cessation the various links of dependent co-arising, craving, and appropriation, feeling, and becoming. We let go of what is too hot to handle when we clearly see that what it is we are handling is painful. In the end, we stop presuming our world. A vijja, Pali for ignorance, is composed of a, not, vidya, what is known, knowledge of a skill or art, science, lore. Vidya is related to the word Vedah, the Brahmanical canon, and also to Vedana, experience or feeling. However, in practice, a is commonly assumed more squarely to be the opposite of jnana, knowledge, a knowledge that can be refined beyond the conceptual, much like English from Greek, gnosis, with which jnana is actually a cognate. Ignorance as the origin of formations. All that we presume is made of formations, the building blocks of conceptualization, The dispelling of ignorance is achieved through gaining insight into what is going on in the downstream links of dependent co-arising. When we let go of the associated presumptions link by link in the many ways described in previous talks as we fully realize how they get us into trouble, empty of what we once presumed our whole world as we experience it, a product of formations in the cycle of cognizance and name and form, ceases, and with that, the whole samsatic condition. But But with with the remainderless remainderless fading away and cessation cessation of ignorance, that body does not exist, condition by which that pleasure and pain arise internally, internally. that speech does does not exist, condition by which that pleasure and pain arise internally. That mind does not exist, condition by which, that pleasure and pain arise internally. That field does not exist, that sight does not exist, that sphere does not exist, that foundation does not exist, condition by which, that pleasure and pain arise internally. Ignorance is the source of the entire chain in that it fuels the cycle of cognizance and name and form from which the chain and our world unfold. Let's review the chain with this in mind. First, we should remember that the domain of dependent co-arising is actually a tangled snarl of conditional relations. The standard chain is a heuristic abstraction that intentionally obscures the full complexity of the entangled nature of the human cognitive architecture, but provides a systematic guide to practice. I've described many cross-entanglements in these talks that fall outside of the chain proper. For instance, cognizance gives rise to becoming or craving gives rise to nutriment. Many of these cross-entanglements are full-fledged, conditional relations as equally consequential as the standard links, but happen to have been omitted to produce the linearity of the standard chain. The chain proper breaks into three segments, conceptual, emotive, and existential. The subchain that begins with ignorance and ends with contact, fully half of the chain, is the conceptual segment. It describes what we think we know and how we think we know what we think we know. The subchain feeling gives rise to craving, gives rise to appropriation, represents emotive responses. The emotive factors drive human behavior. In particular, they manage to undermine virtue. The remaining sub-chain, becoming gives rise to birth, gives rise to this mass of suffering, is the existential segment, in that it determines personal continuity. In particular, it manages to keep us entangled life after life in samsara, a curiosity is that rebirth and samsara are ultimately conceptual mistakes. A number of particularly prominent cross entanglements cut across this otherwise linear architecture. First, cognizance and name and form are mutually conditioning, and then are found in direct conditional association with every other downstream link. They provide the engine of growth and nothing happens without its involvement. For instance, there's a shortcut to becoming. Cognizance gives rise to name and form, gives rise to becoming. That accounts for the growth of our experience of the world, potentially independent of what we might choose to crave and appropriate, and explains why many passages descriptive of the cycle are followed directly by implications for becoming and rebirth, with no mention of craving and appropriation. Nonetheless, each of the emotive factors also exercises a continual, strong influence over this process, encouraging its growth in certain directions, twisting it around human desire. Feeling encourages the proliferation, the fishing expedition of cognizance. Craving provides moisture for flourishing of cognizance in terms of self-interest, the hunting expedition. Appropriation encourages the presence of cognizance to guard the personal footprint. Finally, nutriment, an extension of craving for becoming, provides a continual hunger for cognitive experience for its own sake. Under these emotive influences, cognizance grows the world from formations. Formations are the small, habituated, and presumptive decisions that enable the entire human dilemma. They are a necessary condition for every other factor, and dispositions habituated by formation creation are learned with respect to every other factor. Because formations are conditioned by ignorance, we tend to be rather clueless about what we are accruing at each link. We generally do not see what goes into presuming objects that we think are substantial and really existent. We really do not see how we presume a self, that eludes us in direct experience. We really do not see how our craving for self-advantage and building up a footprint for personal security cause us and others suffering. We really do not see how generating intentions for security and self-advantage causes enormous harm. Yet we remain perpetually engaged in these pursuits all the while training dispositions that keep us locked into the deep ruts of past thinking and behavior. All of this is a manifestation of ignorance, but as we engage the knots of this snarl, recognize the emptiness of our presumptions and recognize how our presumptions get us into trouble, we relinquish these presumptions Ignorance retreats from our lives, and the links of dependent co-arising and the cognitive architecture they entail dissolve. We become liberated. In at least one sutta, ignorance itself has a condition, the fermentations. With With the the arising arising of the fermentations, fermentations, there there is is the the arising arising of of ignorance. ignorance, With, With the, the cessation of, of the, the fermentations, fermentations, there is the, the cessation of ignorance. Fermentations is asawa in Pali, sometimes translated as in or outflows, or taints or cankers, something that corrupts or oozes out as if from a sore. The fermentations are, one, desire for sensuality, two, desire for becoming, And three, desire for ignorance. They are sometimes regarded as the most deeply rooted habit patterns underlying the human dilemma, such that destruction of the formations is regarded as a synonym for liberation. And formations destroyed, kinasawa for the arahant. I don't know that it has been noticed, but the fermentations correspond closely to the cognitive architecture represented by the chain and might well be understood as its underlying impulse. The fermentation of ignorance underlies the conceptual factors beginning with ignorance. The fermentation of becoming underlies the existential factors beginning with becoming. The fermentation of sensuality underlies the emotive factors, beginning with feeling. Sensuality, unlike the other two fermentations, does not correspond to the name of the instigating link in the group, but is rather the dominant theme among the emotive group, with views supplementing sensuality only at appropriation. Significantly, view often shows up as a fourth fermentation in many suttas. The fermentations, therefore, seem to outline the common, dependently arisen human cognitive architecture that keeps us ensnarled in samsara, with ignorance in the lead. The scourge of the self The greatest accomplishment of ignorance is the establishment of me as a manifestation. The inception of the self is in cognizance, which by its very nature bifurcates into inner awareness and substantial outer content. The awareness advent itself and something out there beyond cognition, inviting objectification of seer and seen. This bifurcation produces contact within name and form, in which the seer becomes the agent of intention as well, and in which subject and object are even more clearly distinguished. At feeling, the self presumes personal interest, and what is presumed to be out there matters as potential resources for and potential dangers to me. The self thereby becomes the basis of craving, which drives self-centered intention based on greed for self-advantage and aversion for self-preservation. At appropriation, we stake out our realm of personal self-interest and form views about how the world works, views in which me plays the starring role in the middle of a web of conditionality. Craving for becoming oversees this personal footprint as a personality to be guarded and preserved at all costs. At becoming, the personality is imprinted on the broader world already grown and shaped in terms of personal interest through the encouragements that feeling, craving, and appropriation have exerted on the arising of cognizance. Entirely presumed, The more established the self or personality becomes, the greater the personal footprint and the greater our craving, suffering, and harm to others. As our self-centeredness undermines our virtue, we know something is wrong, but in our ignorance we don't know what. It has been pointed out that all reflective traditions—philosophy, science, psychoanalysis, religion, meditation— acquire the wisdom to challenge the naive self. I think this is why maturely religious people tend so strongly toward humility. But the Buddha had a unique insight into the origin of the self in human cognition and the promotion of a practice to untangle the scourge of the self, not by not. The scourge of concepts and views. It should be noted that, Although the Buddha points out painstakingly how our presumptions cause problems for us, he also scrupulously avoids making direct statements about what natural reality might stand behind such presumptions. For instance, although the teaching of non-self cautions against our presumption of a self, he never explicitly asserts of natural reality, there is no self out there. For the Buddha, we never know if something is really true or false.
1: There are five things that may turn out
0: in two different ways here and now. What five? Faith, approval, oral tradition, reasoned cogitation, and reflective acceptance of a view. These five things may turn out in two different ways here and now. Now, something may be fully accepted out of faith, yet it may be empty, hollow, and false. But something else may not be fully accepted out of faith, yet it may be factual, true, and unmistaken. As for faith, so for approval, oral transmission, reason, cogitation, and reflective acceptance of a view. No matter what our evidence for a view is, It is still speculation. We do well to withhold or bracket our judgments about veracity. Nonetheless, the Buddha distinguished right view from wrong view. Right view has been described not as a correction of wrong views, but as a detached order of seeing to be put into practice, not to be believed in, or as something to be taken seriously but held loosely. Most views are wrong views. Recall that views are fermentations. Bhikkhu Bodhi describes views as tangles, knots, and matting in the works that prevent living beings from passing beyond samsara. They are not to be taken seriously. Recall also that views depend on contact, entailing the self other duality. If one knows and sees the eye as impermanent, then wrong view is abandoned, identity view is abandoned, and the view of the self is abandoned. A wise one has abandoned all views because he has gotten rid of the illusion of self, and with that, point of view. With the elimination of wrong views, or at least not taking them seriously, we eradicate mental rigidity and cognitive attachment. Nonetheless detached, we might discern contexts in which views and concepts provide some benefit. For instance, even an in Atajant will find a concept of a self very useful to cross a busy intersection in one piece. Nyanananda states, one can make use of conceptual tools but one must continue to sharpen them until they are worn out. Alongside views, we presume objects of contact endowed with many substantial qualities. Just as we learn to hold views loosely and without judgments of veracity, we also practice to hold objects loosely and not take them seriously. The fault is not that we know them to be fake, but that they get us into trouble. The effect of letting go of the conviction placed in naive contact weakens all of the downstream links, feeling, craving, appropriation becoming, birth in this mass of suffering. What is not substantial cannot be ours, and abandoning these leads to welfare and happiness. Okay, I think we'll stop here for now. Next week, we will talk about emptiness with regard to ignorance and talk about the cessation of ignorance and what happens to the arahant who managed to break the chain of dependent co-arising. Next week will be our last talk in this series.